right. I think we're all ready to roll here. Mark, are you there? Mark, are you there? Mark, are you there? Okay, everybody, this is Chris. Mark, are you there? Mark, are you there? Mark? Mark, are you there? Mark, are you there? Okay. Mark, are you there? Good day, you sir. Uh, Mark, can you hear me? Are you there? I am here. Can you hear me, Mark? Okay, good deal. Okay, sorry for the bumpy beginning, uh, uh, everybody. A uh, lot going on. and uh, We were playing, you know, we were doing, we were playing doing mute buttons here with a folks in the studio. Yes. Yeah, so I got a little confused. I thought I was hitting the microphone, and uh, I thought that was the button to hit, but I think the microphone's for me. And no, you did. Anyway. All right, so uh, why don't we uh, we jump uh, right into it. Everyone, welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, we're going to have Dan Harrington join us in a few minutes, uh, do a little roundtable discussion. Unfortunately, we only have Mark for about a half hour today. So when we kick it off, talking about the Vegas Golden Knight, we made a huge move at the deadline. Mark, what was your thoughts on Mark Stone? Well, uh, I'm going to start off. We have entered the tag the Stonies for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, we talked about it. I wasn't sure at first uh, what I thought about it, what I thought about the price. This is before they announced the uh, eight years, 9.5 per, or whatever they actually figure out for signing day. But, uh, you know, I really like the trip when they, when it's all said and done. I have a guy who is, you know, probably unrated. knows how to play is because he has been playing in Ottawa. And it takes it in the States. You don't get to see the Ottawa Senators play that much. So you, you hear how good he is, but you don't really see it until you notice all the little things that he's doing on the ice. And even in the first three games, he's up for shooting the first two games. But last on a beautiful passing play on power. Down about seconds and we ended up with William Carlson standing in front of a wide open net and the puck landing on his tape for a simple tapping. Um, you know, trading prospects and a prospect counts and a second round pick and a roster player. Um, McPhee has said uh, after the trade that five days before the price was two first-round picks, two roster players, and a prospect. And he said he wasn't going to do that deal. So well, on day when uh, some of the other teams had, had bailed out of the Markstone sweepstakes, um, he reengaged at about 11:30 and was able to get the deal done with. I think it was announced eight minutes before the deadline. So um, he got the player he wanted and locked up long term. 
and you came off of a two first round pick, two prospect to player or any combination of those things to not even surrendering a first round pick. Um, I, 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 the team's been in since then. We talked earlier in the week. You said on Saturday we better be talking about a 3-0 and week for the Vegas Golden Knights and see what we're talking about. So um, I think I have to yeah, I mean, look, in terms of the trade itself, uh, just looking at it in a vacuum, I mean, it's it, it's a win-win for both sides. But from a Vegas standpoint, you know, Mark Stone is not going to be 27, I think, until May or June. So, uh, you know, to, to get a player in his prime like that, uh, he's not just a guy who can – he's an offensive player who can score goals. He's a battler. Uh, he wants to win in the worst way. He, he's a terrific uh, – he's a terrific uh, – Terrific ad. Uh, there's no, there's no two ways about it. It makes them better uh, for the rest of this season, whatever is going to become of it, and and moving forward uh, in terms of uh, being one of the core guys and a leader. And the other thing, uh, the other thing I like about it, Chris, is that pretty much, you know, all of what teams in the West at the top got better except for Cal, and you kept them from getting Mark Stone as well. So that's that's another side benefit. Um, to the deal itself is that you got better. You had, you got the best player available at the deadline and you kept your competition in the West from getting that player. And now you have him locked up for eight years. So yeah, one thing I like this, a deal like this for me personally, though, I think you gotta, gotta make sure first it makes sense for you. You know what I mean? But I just to finish up, I was just going to, I was just going to say in terms of what I, don't like about it, and again, and, and doesn't have to do with this deal in particular, as we talked about the other day, is, you know, the last 12 months, going back to last year's trade deadline, uh, you know, the Golden Knights, and I get it, this is not your uncle's expansion draft, expansion team. Um, they have a, a now team, uh, and obviously they want to be good for the future as well. But the last 12 months between the trade for Tatar and then uh, the trade for Pacioretty, and now this trade, the Knights have traded uh, an awful lot of uh, – uh, they've traded two elite prospects, an awful lot of draft picks uh, as well. And, yep. you know, I get it. This is a special situation. This is a unique situation, an opportunity. Um, so what I would say at this point after the last 12 months of trading all that is uh, there needs to be a, uh, a referendum. And I don't moratorium. Know if it's a fee. I don't know. If it's moratorium. Thank you. I don't know if it's McPhee or if it's Foley. The, the the vault has to be locked for the next couple of years in terms of their top prospects. And quite frankly, I don't know if they have an elite prospect left other than Cody Glass, but their top prospects and their draft picks in rounds one, one, two, and three. They have gone to the vault a lot in the last 12 months. And the other thing that jumps out at me about this deal, before I kick it back to you, is it's too early. I'm not calling, you know, Max Patch ready to Vegas a failure or, or anything like that. There's too much time to go. But if I would have said to you, Mark, back in June or I think it was June, late June when they when when Vegas traded what they did to get Max Patch ready, uh, and I would say to you, you know what they need to really do now, Mark, between now and the trade deadline, is get Mark Stone. I mean, I think, you know, I want to put words in your mouth, but in terms of for me, I'd be like, well, they just traded for Pacioretty. Why would they need Mark Stone? So this is a little bit, uh, you know, it doesn't make the Pacioretty move 
were great. And I, and actually, and actually, they gave up a heck of a lot more to get Max ready in terms of trade assets than they did Mark Stone. It cost more dollars in cap space for Mark Stone and Pacioretty. But, you know, so I, I get it. It's a, it's a great move. You know, and I get they have young defensemen in Theodore and, and Schmidt to build around, although Branstrom would have brought a very unique di- dimension. And he was a very blue, blue, blue chipper on NHL Network. Um, E.J. Raddick was talking about how scouts were texting him from all over the league saying, I can't believe Ottawa got Branstrom. But I get it, but you got to batten down the door now. That's how I feel going forward. they gotta, they got to protect uh, – those future chips because they've traded an awful lot of them last year. Oh, excuse me. Um, when everything that they've traded away, they still have what they deem to be their, their franchise untouchable in Cody Glass. They have uh, White Cloud Hague, um, a couple other defensive prospects, and in the next two years, they still have 11 picks in the in the first three rounds. And in the next three years, they still have four, 14 picks in the next three rounds. So he has not, and including all of his three first rounds. So um, in, in spite of everything that he's done, he still has plenty of, of high-end draft picks. And we know that those picks can turn into what is it, 15 to 20% chance uh, any of those players will ever play in NHL, even first-round picks. Um, but he but he still has 14 picks in the first three rounds, including all of his first-rounders to, to stock the cupboard and can continue building the franchise depth. And you have now, – now, as far as Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone go, two different players, um, Pacioretty – isn't isn't the guy to go in the corners? Isn't the guy to go to the front of the net? Isn't the guy to stand up for your teammates? Um, to be kind, he seems to be a little bit of a cherry picker. Where if there is space on the ice towards the middle, he'll go there, and and you know he's got twenty goals. He'll usually finish that play. Um, but but the guy who's going to go in and do the dirty work is. And the the other benefit of, of bringing in Mark Stone after a Pat Strady deal is Alex Stuck is six four. Mark six four. So if it's an ancillary benefit to that, it is that it's going to learn how to be that type of player from one of the best in the league. Let's be honest. Yeah, and I think um, a big a big key too is. They gave up a, a big chip in Brandstrom, but they didn't. Uh, the second round pick they gave up, I believe, was in not this year's, but next year's, where they had three, so they still have two. And Lindbergh was a you know a role player for them, so they only gave up one primo piece to get Stone. Granted, it was a pretty primo piece, but um, I think that's a big key in terms of the trade cost in this deal. That didn't require more than one. So, uh, and uh, yeah, the other thing that'll be fun is when uh, Branson's ready, um, Ottawa's going to have a pretty nice 1 1 A with Shabbat and Branson uh, if Branson becomes the player that a lot of people think he's going to become. That should be, you know, one guy, one guy should be the number two power player for the next seven years until they're about to go to soon, and then Ottawa will trade them away. But the, the, the it, 
you know, years. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. So, I mean, like you mentioned, it was definitely a, a, a good week as they, um, um, as they had, uh, uh, you know, three wins, three games that they, uh, you know, needed to win. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, so, okay, let's see. Dan, are your, you there? Your Arizona car- Coyotes are barking at the door. They are. Let's see. So, I'm so uh, yeah, Dan let's here. bring in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Insider. I'm going to unmute him, Chris. Dan. Hey, guys. How Dan, are, are you? you there? Good to, good yeah, to talk to you, Dan. Me? Thanks for coming in. Yep, you're good. All right. Well, thanks for having me. Very good, very good. Well, uh, at the trade deadline, we had your perspective on doing it. Of course, you don't want to mess the chemistry with the best team in the league and find a weakness in that group. So just real quick, let me get your perspective on Tampa Bay standing pat. Well, you know, uh, it's it was interesting to hear the new GM, Julian Brisebois, after the deadline. He had a, a very short press conference in, in which he said he had planned towards the, the end of December and beginning of January to look to add a depth defenseman, but he was so impressed with the play of rookie defenseman Eric Chernak that 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 made the uh, a deal for a depth defenseman less and less important or a priority in Brisbois's mind and I would agree I think that that listen they are running away from the rest of the league in the salary cap era where parity has been king since since the enactment of the salary cap so, uh, if nothing else, it shows there's a level of trust from from the organization standpoint to the players because they're having such a a historic year uh, so far. So, since, since you're in the East, let's stay in the East. One of the big storylines uh, after the trade deadline was that, uh, and I'm, I want to get Chris involved in this too, is that the New York Islanders being first place in the Metropolitan Division, I think they're ahead of schedule, if you will. A lot, you know, nobody had them where they are right now um, to start the season. And Lou Lamarillo stands pat as well. Um, let me get Chris's thoughts on that. And then, Dan, I'd like to hear your thoughts about what the Islanders did not do at the trade deadline. As well. Sure. Yeah, you know, I was a little surprised because, you know, a lot of people, especially in the media, was uh, expecting Lou to be aggressive, and Lou is an aggressive GM when he has a good team. But also, you know, he's aggressive for somebody he wants. And at the, when the smoke cleared, uh, looking analyzing the situation, what it, what it showed me was Lou had a very short list. Um, he was definitely interested in Panarin, but Panarin wasn't available. Um, obviously, the Ranger guys might have been good fits for the for the Islanders, but there's no way the Islanders and the Rangers are going to make a deal. I think they've made one small deal in 40 years. So that really came down to Lou went hard after Duchesne and Stone. Arthur Staple of the Athletic reported the Islanders uh, sent a package around Duchesne for with their first round pick uh, this year, and Anthony Bovile, the first round pick from uh, three years ago. Uh, who's got 15 goals this year, uh, 21-year-old winger, 
Um, and Co- uh, Ottawa wanted that second first-round pick, that contingency first-round pick in the deal uh, that Columbus eventually uh, gave up for uh, if Duchesne re-signed with the team. And that was a line that blew, you know, that was a line, that just made it too much for Lou. Lou was also in on Stone with Ottawa. I'm assuming it was probably for the Samoa players since they discussed that regarding Duchesne. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I think once Vegas was willing to tra- willing to give up Randstrom, it was going to be a high bar for Lou to give up to, to beat out Vegas for Stone. And even though you know the, he Lou might have been willing to give up, let's say two premium pieces instead of the one that Vegas gave up for Brandstrom, you know Ottawa valued Brandstrom very very high and rightfully so. So I, I just don't think that the you know things really and also Lou had didn't really have any interest in the Broussards and the, the Johansons and, and um, you know, all those guys of the world. Uh, Eric Stoll wound up re-signing in Minnesota. Uh, I, you know, Mike Hoffman didn't get traded. So I, I think Lou would have liked to add, but only if it was the right, A, the right player, and I think, again, that was a short list, and B, he wasn't, gonna, he wasn't going to break the bank uh, to do it, he was going to give up the assets he needed to, but he wasn't going to go crazy, if you will, uh, kind of like what Columbus did, where they really had an all-in mentality. So he believes in this team. They did get Andrew Ladd and Thomas Hickey back, so they added two good depth players. If those guys can stay healthy for both the blue line and up front, and Ladd could be, if he could stay healthy, could be a player that, you know, in terms of the second-tier guys that got traded. He could help the Islanders uh, that way. So uh, the fan base was disappointed. They really wanted uh, – they were really hopeful for a big ad. Uh, it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, the Islanders uh, move on. They tie with Washington now for first place at 81 points. They have a game in hand. It's been a, a crazy week for the Islanders this week. Had a tough schedule and tough game, so hopefully they can make some hay uh, uh, this week. Dan? Well, yeah, listen, I, uh, just to add on to Chris's point, I, I, yeah, there's no question Lou Lamarillo was – he was in on some some potentially big deals there, but I don't think he was going to risk mortgaging the future because at the beginning of the season, after losing Tavares in, in, over the summer, how many how many people actually saw would, – would have given the Islanders any kind of chance to be fighting – with less than 20 games for the Metro division uh, for the championship for that division. I, I, I certainly didn't. Uh, but, but I think Lou just looked at it like, look, we're doing well above expectations this year. If there's a deal to be had, I'll, I'll make the deal, but I'm not giving up what we've got, what we're building for the future for, for, for the short term. So you got you know the fan base should at least give them credit for that. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting too. Uh, I thought it was real quick. I thought it was interesting too that you know I didn't you didn't see any rumors about any of the big prospects, Bodie Wild, Alva Wallstrom, and Noah Dobson. I don't know. I I don't know if they were really in play. The 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 chips, the big chips they were willing to trade was obviously the, this June's first round pick, which obviously is a big chip. And I heard Bovivu's name. 
uh, was shopped uh, was shopped to Ottawa. So those were kind of the big chips that were, uh, uh, you know, and interesting to note on Saturday night. I thought you know the island, uh, a trade might have been afoot as one of their top uh, players in Bridgeport in the AHL was a healthy scratch, uh, a young a young center who's really had a great year. Uh, I'm sure his name was mentioned, but um, he wound up staying put. So for a team that, that kept their eye on the prize in the long term, um, that's a great segue into a team that that cast all their chips in and put it all into the center of the table with the Columbus Blue Jackets. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, they run the risk of having a third and a seventh in this draft and losing McQuaid, Panarin, Duchesne, Dezingle, and Bobrovsky to free agency at this year. Dan, are you on board with the all-in mentality of Yarmo Kekalainen, or is a little bit more caution something you would have liked to have seen out of the Columbus Blue Jackets? Well, if I'm a Blue Jacket fan, yeah, I'm. I'm I see. I admire the roll of the dice, but. Like you said, when you you rattled off a whole litany of names there that they could possibly lose, I mean, at what point would would their fan base think that this dead the the actions of this deadline would be a success? Because they they haven't gotten past the first round of the playoffs. So is it going to be Stanley Cup or bust, or is it going to be well if we get to the Eastern Conference Finals? You know, if the way things stand right now, they're number eight. They're the eighth seed. They would face the Lightning in a in a in the first round. Now, with all the the additions that they have, it would be a great series. But I wouldn't see them beating beating the Lightning in seven games. So, all these you know, this big roll of the dice was for a first round exit. Ooh. That's that's going to sting if that's the case. And like you said, if they end up losing those players, you know, that's a double whammy. And how, how about this? We were talking with Mark Scheig. Uh, he covers the Columbus Blue Jackets for thehockeywriters.com. We were talking with him last week. And the the one stat he threw out there that, that made me open my eyes real wide is Bobrovsky has never let in less than three goals in off game he's ever played in. And mm. – that that's very concerning. Um, and then the other thing, Mark, are you there? Can you still hear me? Hello. Yeah, I hear, I can you, hear you now. Uh, okay. Yep. Well, the other thing we talked about was the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's maybe sitting in the eighth seed right now, but they they still have five back to back left. I think they have seven. Games um, last time I looked, and I, twelve of them are currently sitting in playoff position. I believe twelve or thirteen. <clears throat> There's a real chance, no, no matter what happens, Columbus may not even make the playoffs, and then lose mm-hmm. all five of those players. And and wow. goodness gracious, what a disaster that would be. Yeah, and they, they have. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. All I was going to okay, say, go and, and just to add add fuel to that fire, and they have so little draft picks, not just this upcoming draft, but 
the next couple of years, they really did all in. They went all in for these next three months. And like you said, there's a very real possibility they don't even make the playoffs. That's going to sting for a long time to come. Yeah, that's a five yeah, to I mean, seven the, the year way, setback in the franchise. Yeah, the way I look at it, and I get it. I mean, this, this, uh, I feel like Columbus could wind up looking like geniuses. They're either going to look like geniuses or idiots. Uh, and the, the way I look at it is, let's put Tampa Bay aside for a second. I know you really can't, but let's just put them aside. If, in terms of after make the smoke clears and making these deals. Columbus may argue with with me and say, "Hey, look, you put us in any playoff series against anybody else, you know, you know, we're we're not an underdog to anybody." And I would say, you know, that I don't think that's an incorrect statement. The problem is, I don't know if you're a favorite either. I think they're kind of fifty-fifty series, if you will, assuming that they get into the the playoffs, which I think at the end of the day they will, but it, it's not a guarantee. So, but have you know? So to kind of go all in, based on that, of based on you're going to have a 50-50 series, uh, and you know a goaltender, while you know it's super talented, the playoffs have not been good for him. I mean, if things go bad with Bobrovsky in the playoffs, then you go to uh, uh, Koprasalo. I mean, you know, so that's a big. You know, there are really. There's, a, there's truly a lot of rolling of the dice here. And to have traded, you know, basically only to have a three and a seven in this year's draft. If you re-sign Duchesne, you don't have a, a, a draft pick in rounds one through three in 2020. You traded two of your top five prospects. You know that both Panarin and Bobrovsky, 99% certainty, are walking out the door at the end of this season. So where where is the talent going to come from? The only way you could really, uh, you know, increase talent is you're going to have to go on the free agent market on July 1, and we know how expensive the prices are there. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, what's the bar in terms of a playoff run uh, that, would, that would make sense to do all this? Uh, I said to you, Mark, during the week that it has to be at least the Eastern Conference Finals and you said, well, that's great, and that's a great run, but, but we're, you know, if it turns south for years to come, is that really the right move? And I, I get it. I mean, because yeah, I'm going to be I, honest with you. Still, they're not, they're not being Tampa. This, team, this team's not being no. Tampa. Uh, so um, I don't see a Stanley Cup run in this group. Ta- again, time will tell how this plays out. Um uh, but yeah, and and uh, and I get it. They're in position to re-sign Matthew Shane as they can give him the eighth year, and they're going to have plenty of cap space. Uh, so maybe they do wind up re-signing him, which I would say is more likely than not. But again, that's going to come at a cost in terms of their first-round pick in 2020. I think what they did is very dangerous, but I think that's the best way I could phrase it. Time will tell if. Uh, you know, we'll have to examine it when the season ends for them and what where they wound it up. But I think this, this is a very dangerous move, uh, dangerous set of moves they've made. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this conversation earlier in the week. The Eastern Conference Final is enough. I don't think winning the Stanley Cup is enough. I think I think damage has been done to this franchise. It's going to be seen five. And the one thing I will say, they do have. 
approximately $20 million in cap space now. And if, um, let's say, all five of those players go, they'll probably be under the cap at that point. So they'll have to hit free agency hard and heavy in order to, to build a competitive team. But as far as, let's say, health the franchise and the pipeline, I don't. I, I just think that they, they've done too much. I think. If they win the Stanley Cup, great. They'll have a parade and uh, they'll they'll have a great time. Um, you said they're going to have to rely on somebody else to beat Tampa. Maybe Washington, if they match up, will give them a tough matchup. We know last year um, what happened. Tampa had to home in game six and seven and couldn't get it done. Maybe a uh, Pittsburgh comes in and, and they, they finish the season with a little momentum and they they a good hard seven game series out of that. But, you know, other than that, I, I what did is a mistake. And that's it for me, guys. I got to go. I run. You guys carry on. Um, and thank you for coming into the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I really appreciate your time. Just, we will talk oh, to you. You're soon. welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Mark. We'll pick it up uh, next week with you. All right. So, Dan, um, give me your breakdown of how do you think. Ottawa did. So basically for Duchesne, they got a first round pick, two very good prospects, potentially mm-hmm. a second first round pick. For Mark Stone, they got mm-hmm. a blue chip prospect in Brandstrom, added an, a, a second round pick in 2020. And Dezingle, they got right. two second round picks, one in 19 and one in 20. Now that the smoke is cleared, how do you think Ottawa did in terms of uh, selling and, and adding the, uh, the assets they've added? Listen, I think they did very well because they added, you know, a handful of top picks, first, second, third round picks uh, over the next couple drafts. And, you know, and I, I, I was surprised that Vegas gave up on the young defenseman, Eric Brandstrom. Uh, you know, I keep hearing how this, this is a can't-miss prospect, he, and he is almost NHL-ready. So, uh I, I love what they've done. You know, I I, I read the news uh, yesterday about Guy Boucher it was terminated mm. by them. So clearly, the franchise has has an idea about the direction that they're going to go. They still have some pretty good young talent on that team. Uh, uh, you know, they're they're certainly not you know going to be in contention for a playoff spot for at least a year or two, but uh, it depends what they do with these draft picks. But uh, I definitely like what they got for the players they gave up. Yeah, I mean, like Logan Brown, the kid who they drafted in the first round a couple of years ago who's in the pipeline as well. So they, they mm-hmm. you know, and obviously the, the, the trade with San Jose where they accumulated draft picks. So, they have, <clears throat> excuse me, they have to draft well with these picks. But considering all three of these players were rentals, I, I think they did well. I mean, I, I know they didn't get, you know, at, at first, you know, uh, people were talking about they needed to get two, maybe three premium future assets for each guy, or at least for Duchesne and Stone. I don't think that was realistic, and then at the end of the day, that's not what happened. Although, like I said, if they're right. rooting really hard that Columbus resigns Duchesne, because at the end of the day, and I don't, you know, again, the two prospects they got from Columbus in the Duchesne deal are not elite blue chippers. They, they're still very young. They're young players, and they could wind up being very good players. 
but if they wind up mm-hmm. getting two first round picks for Duchesne, um, uh, you know that that's that's uh, pretty darn uh, that's pretty darn good. So I think, you know, and I think they made the right call too. Where they are, with the franchise is at. Um, you know, Duchesne and Stone, you know, approaching you know the you know the to twenty seven twenty eight mark in their age, mm-hmm. uh, where and the team is, you know, obviously the lowest amount of points in the NHL. I think you have to look at the big picture. I, I think uh, it's easy for me to say from afar, but I think moving these guys was the right way, uh, right way to go. Well, one team that had a real unfortunate trade deadline, um, so far at least, I mean, I love – uh, I, you know, Lovejoy's a solid D-man. Uh, Dallas adds him. And then they add Zuccarello, who's a really good, uh, not the biggest of guys, but a real good uh, spark plug player. He has a goal and assist in his first game. Takes a 5 a.m. flight last weekend after getting traded uh, against the uh, big game against the Blackhawks. And then he break, and then he gets his, uh, gets his arm broken, I believe, and is out until late March, you know, which is going to be almost, the, you know, pretty much the lion's share of the rest of the regular season games. Uh, that was very, very unfortunate for Dallas, who I thought they had two really good players. Oh, yeah, there's no question. And, and like you said, Zuccarella on, on his, in his first uh, what turned out to be half game with the, with the Stars, he gets, he's, he gets put on Tyler Seguin's line and gets a, has a goal and assist, and he's flying all over the ice. And, uh and it, you know, trying to do do uh, make a, a a good team play, he he stood in front of a shot, and 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 broke his arm. And like you said, he's out till the end of March. Uh, that's tough luck for Dallas because they needed some kind of offensive spark. They're they're struggling with their offense, and it, it looked at least for the time before the. Uh, before taking the shot that Zuccarello was going to be that fire plug who was going to, you know, inject some offense into this, into these, uh, into the stars. It's too bad. Hey, you know what I, you know what I thought of Dan when Zucca, when I saw the news about Zuccarello is I thought of what we were saying before about Columbus. And I thought to myself, you know, if that happens to Columbus, be it sometime in March or even, you know, into April and they make the playoffs or leading into the playoffs, or even in the first round of the playoffs, I, I just felt like you know, I, you know, I, and not in so much of a guy that they added in Duchesne and Dzingel, but what if what if it happened to one of their other guys like Atkinson or something like that? It's just such oh, a, I don't sure. want to say house of I don't want to say it's house of cards, but it's such a, a sensitive thing to keep all those pieces intact for them to go on this, you know. Because we're looking at a very, uh, uh, you know, a here and now mentality, and if that were to happen to Columbus, I mean, that would just be beyond devastating. I mean, you know, as it is, oh. uh, it was it wasn't great news for Dallas. I mean, they gave up a three and a two for Zuccarello, and I know those aren't as sexy picks as a first round pick, but that you know that's not a cheap price. So that was, uh, and they're fighting tooth and nail, um, um, you know, to, you know, to make that one of those wild card spots in the West. So we'll see if they can um, get going. I want to stay in the West. Now, Winnipeg took an interesting approach. A lot of people felt that they were the favorite to get Mark Stone, that this was the time for Winnipeg. Uh, to, to uh, You know, they're one of the top teams in the NHL. Some people felt you add Mark Stone to that team. 
they might be the Stanley Cup favorite uh, with all due respect to Tampa. And instead, Kevin, Kevin Server the day off, said, you know what, the price for Mark Stone is too high. Instead, I'm going to use my first-round pick this year, and I'm going to get someone like Kevin Hayes. Is, was that the right move, you think, by Winnipeg, or should they have gone, should they have gone for the brass ring? Well, you know, uh, that, that's a good question, but, but Kevin Hayes is no slouch. He's got size. Right. He's got some offensive skills. You know, uh, think of what Paul Stasny did for Winnipeg last year after they acquired him. Uh, I think that 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 he, uh, Kevin Hayes can provide that. And like you said, without giving up or mortgaging too much of the future, uh, I think that's a very good addition for for Winnipeg. Uh, yeah, I was I was. Uh, surprised because I thought they were going to, like you said, go all in on stone, but apparently the price was, the price tag was too high, but you know, for me, in, in Kevin Hayes, he's he's like stone, he's a big guy, he's, he, he has some offensive skills, maybe he's not quite as polished as stone, but I, I think in, in the long run, it'll be a good move for Winnipeg. Yeah, I mean, I know after the season, though, I believe Line A is an RFA, so he comes off his entry-level contract. Truba only has one year to go before hitting unrestricted free agency, and it doesn't sound like he, his long-term future is there, so you wonder if they're going to move him after the season and get assets for him instead of just having him walk out the door. So there's, you know, amongst other things. So there's a lot going on there, but like I said, uh, I I just you know well, time will tell if uh, I, you know it, it's interesting. I thought I, I I think Columbus went way too aggressive in my opinion, and we'll see if if that winds up being the case or if they showed a lot of gumption and it pays off. But I, I thought one if, if there was a case for a team in my opinion to be overly aggressive for Mark Stone or someone like Mark Stone, Winnipeg definitely uh, you know fit the mark. But they. You know, they've been a little too up and down for my taste this year. But, you know, again, for them, it's all going to be about the playoffs, right? And and they're going to have a tough road, to, tough road ahead. If they're going to win the Stanley Cup, then you've got to figure they're going to have to beat Nashville, one of Calgary, San Jose, Vegas, and probably Tampa to do it. Right. Right. That's a tough yeah, road. That's a, and, and, that's a tough and road. You know what? It's funny that you that you bring that up because for the last few seasons, the Central has been the the strong division in the West. But you know, uh, this year I would definitely say you have to say that the Pacific is 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 every bit as strong. I mean, when you look at Winnipeg, Nashville, and St. Louis, you think, wow, that's pretty formidable. But San Jose and Calgary uh, and Vegas, they they would absolutely give those top three teams in the Central a run for their money, and they're they're certainly playing better than the the three teams in the Central. So you're right, any team uh, in the Central, if they have to play some of those top Pacific teams, they're they're going to be in for for uh, uh, a surprise. I think they're, they don't play that big physical heavy game of the Central teams. Uh, but they can score, and and uh, I think regardless if it's Winnipeg or Nashville atop the Central, I think that team is going to have a tough road uh, in the playoffs. 
Yeah, and that's a good point, too, that you indirectly mentioned there is between Winnipeg and Nashville, you got to figure one of those two teams can win the division. The one that finishes second is going to get St. Louis in the first round. And while uh, even, mm-hmm. even the Blues have been playing great lately, still, uh, still figure Winnipeg or Nashville will get past St. Louis. Uh, you know, that's, that's not going to be an easy series. But more to the point for me is for both Winnipeg and Nashville meeting up in the potentially the second round, uh, that's going to be that's going to be a tough, long series, and you wonder, you know, that's good news for the t- the team that comes out of the Pacific because uh, there's going to be a number of battle scores uh, uh, that that the, the winner of that series is going to have to move forward with. Um, so, uh, you know, interesting. I thought, you know, Dan, under the radar uh, for the over the last month and specifically this last week, you know, Paul Fenton of Minnesota. You know, quietly, and it's kind of changed his his team, if you will, a little bit, and freed up some salary mm-hmm. cap money. You know, he he trades Niederreiter for Rask, which you know, different kind of players. Uh, Rask has a little bit of a lower cap number. Both signed for the next three or four years. Then he moves Granlin and Charlie Coyle, two guys who are unrestricted free agents after next year. And given where Minnesota is at from a cap standpoint, a roster standpoint, he was probably going to move on from those guys. So he moves those guys out, and he brings in Donato from Boston and Fiala from Nashville, guys who has much more years of uh, team control um, and, uh, and and smaller cap numbers. Uh, I liked what Minnesota did, uh, and they re-signed Eric Stoll at a kind of a discount price. Uh, for two years after this year. I like what Minnesota did. They apparently almost traded Jason Zucker, who's having a little bit of an off year. So maybe Minnesota has more moves to come in the offseason. But what do you think of the move by the Wild? You know, I, I, I think you hit the, uh, the key point because uh, I, I think if you look at Donato and, and the other acquisition was Fiala, I think if you look at those guys, these are guys that, that, that came onto the – to, to the league recently with some big splashes, but but their, their progress or their progression seemed to be uh, at least plateaued a little bit, and and I think first of all the change is going to be good for them. Uh, you, the key point you hit upon was that they're still going to be under team control for a lot longer than the the, the Charlie Coyle in in Granlin. So so. Uh, I think, and right now looking at the standings, the Wild are holding firm on that eighth place. You know, sure they got Colorado and a couple other teams breathing down their neck, but but imagine if they can get rid of some of those, like like you said, some of that salary cap, get, acquire some good. I think Donato is a good good young player. I, I think the same for Fiala. I think he he, he seemed a little lost this year. One, the couple times I've seen him play, but but I think that that imagine if this team can actually make the playoffs. You know they're 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 not going to be challenging for for even the conference finals, but if they can make the playoff, that that can be a stepping stone and and do well in the first round. It could be a stepping stone for for uh, what they're building and for a first year GM. I I, I think you know it's. It's too early to, to to probably to issue a grade for Fenton on this, but 
at least, you know what, the possibilities are certainly there for this that these deadline deals, his first trade deadline, uh, to be a, a successful one. So let's let's talk about the Bruins a bit. You know, a lot of people were thinking that they they would be one of the teams rumored to add one of these big players. Instead, they took the approach of, you know, adding a Coil, adding a Johansson, giving them more depth, uh, if you will. They have they have some big big guns on their chopsticks already. Uh, what do you you know the Bruins well? What do you think is uh, you think they should have went more for the brass ring or um, going the route they did made more sense? Well, you know what, I, I can't fault any GM for being aggressive and despite and I, I think Lou in, in New York for the Islanders, I think Lou Lamoureux was aggressive. He just didn't find the right deal. I think. Uh, in, in 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 what the Boston Bruins did, I think was aggressive. They were in on how many rumors did we hear about them being oh. in on Simmons and Ferlin and I mean just every day it was ten different guys that they were in on. And I think maybe they were they were either you know taking those calls or making those calls to see if what was available. I think they were aggressive, but in the end, I like the moves that they made. Listen, Marcus Johansson. He certainly has the offensive skills. Depends who he gets teamed up with, but but you know, uh, imagine. And I'll tell you, uh, they played uh, the Lightning on Thursday, and uh, Johansson was lined up with David Krejci, and those guys. That was the line. That was the best line on on the ice all day. So uh, I like Charlie Coyle. Uh, that addition, but you're right. I think that they were probably looking. Look, they if Pasternak comes back healed and ready to go, they, they, Boston's going to be a tough matchup for anybody. If if Pasternak oh. has any kind of kind of uh, uh, delay or or lingering uh, uh, pain or whatever, and it's he's not fully healed. Uh, I think that's going to be, and I, th- I think that's going to be an issue, obviously, for Boston. And I think that's that was one of the reasons I like this Johansson deal because not that he's anywhere near what David Pasternak. That's an elite score in the NHL, but Johansson is the kind of guy who can get on a hot streak. Uh, you know, the downside for Johansson sometimes is is uh, he he has a tendency, especially the last couple seasons, of being often injured. Yeah, no, and then when we jump from there to, to, to the Leafs, and, you know, they made their big move the end of January, I believe, getting Jake Muzzin. You know, a lot of people felt they still had another move in them, uh, maybe uh, targeting a physical forward such as a Wayne Simmons or a Michael Furlan. Furlan wound up staying put in Carolina. Simmons actually did not go for a high price, so, you know, you would think that they – could have beaten out uh, the the offer that Nashville get. I mean, Dan, it looks pretty obvious uh, here at this time that Toronto's going to face Boston again in the first round, and uh, it wasn't a mistake by Toronto not adding uh, potentially someone like Wayne Simmons. Well, and, and, you know, it's going to be – look, Boston has been playing lights out lately. It it depends on which team – Toronto and Toronto unfortunately has been sliding. They were holding firm at at the second spot in the Atlantic behind the Lightning. 
but Boston's hot streak over, over the month of February where they didn't lose in regulation, that's kind of flipped the script on, on, on the Leafs. Yeah, I think the Leafs, you know, facing Boston again in the first round is going to be tough. Now, at, le- at least this, or for most of the season, they were looking like, well, we will have home ice. Well, that doesn't look to be the case anymore. And that, to me, it, it spells nothing but trouble for, for Toronto. Yeah, that game seven was a rough game they had in Boston. I mean, to me, when people talk about home ice, and it's great to have home ice, uh, but, you know, teams, you know, win on the road and all that. But to me, the big, the big advantage of having the home ice is, you know, if it does go to that critical one for all, the one game for the, yep. all the marbles, game seven, to have it in, uh, to have it in your building, um, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a biggie. So I was a little surprised there. You know, again, it will be interesting to see. You know, in terms of Toronto, you, you know, they they went through the rebuild two years ago. They were a surprise, making the playoffs. They pushed the Caps hard, played well, losing six, right? Last year they have uh, you know a real good regular season. Play Boston, uh, you know I, I believe they were down three games to one in that series and, and brought it back to uh, a game seven, but then had a terrible game seven, which kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, it's never look right. if you lose, you lose, but that was just a real rough game. You know, Stan, if they don't get out, if they wind up any way you slice it play a great series but lose or, you know, don't have their best effort or lose. At the end of the day, if the Maple Leafs uh, lose in the first round again, uh, you know, they're, you know, you have to wonder is the way they, they're they set up, are they just a terrific write-it-down regular season team that's going to get 105, 107 points, but when push comes to shove and they're going to have to play you know, an elite team or a top team like Boston or, or dare I say, Tampa, uh, you know, they're just not good enough. Well, they're not. And, and listen, we've talked, uh, you and I have talked all season long, and one of the things we said before the season even started was Toronto was going to need to shore up their their defensive core. Yeah, they made a trade, like you said, late January for Jake Muzzin, but – in the time in, after that trade, Gardner went down with a, with an injury, and and that injury exposed how much ter- help Toronto actually needs, uh, a, a, you know, behind the blue line, and they did not make a deal that would shore that up. And you're right if the, if there's another first round exit with the salary cap issues that that Dulles is going to have to deal with. Uh, come the off season, it, it's we're not going to you're not going to see wholesale changes, but you will see changes in Toronto's the landscape of of the players over the next two three seasons, simply because of 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 them having to try and manage uh, to be under the cap. Okay, last we got last three hits here. Want to get to, so let's do two of them together. The Habs and the mm-hmm. Flames. So my, my, I feel in the Habs, they're kind of in a spot like the Islanders. They've had, you know, um, a, a much, a much better season than people could have hoped for. So they were probably the those future assets that people wanted was their, you know, prime assets, if you will, in terms of draft picks and prospects. So they kind of stood pat. So I could kind of understand that. Um, 
they you know they they have a good team, they have a good chance uh, to to get in the playoffs as one of the wild cards. Um, Calgary though in a different place and time, and from what you what I gathered about now apparently uh, there was some uh, people writing about it about uh, that they were very close to getting Jason Zucker, but you know again where Calgary is at they 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 kind of refuse to give they have a couple of real plum uh prospects and they refuse to give any of them up in any kind of deal and if they could have used one of those guys to get a Mark Stone who you know they were they were in the mix if you will and it feel it sounds like they were not willing to do that uh again is uh is that a case where Calgary should have maybe been more aggressive. Well, you know what? It's gonna, it's going to all come out in the wash. But to me, you know, they, I, I agree. I saw them going in, in or trying to make a deal for Stone, at least be one of the the, the potential uh, trade partners. Uh, and then I thought, you know, we talked at that the Sunday before the trade deadline about Zucker a lot, and we both saw him as a very real possibility in Calgary. But I think the biggest question mark in Calgary, and yes, they are the top team in the West right now and have been at or near the top for most of the season, uh, playing well above any expectations. But I think their biggest issue is goaltending. And I was actually surprised that they didn't, because I think there were some goaltenders out there, uh, Kincaid for one, who was moved, uh, Talbot, another one who was moved, who might have been able to at least uh, help the goalie situation in Calgary, and I was surprised that that wasn't one of the moves they made. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like they probably felt their own guys were just as that they're better than those guys. If they were going to make a move for a goalie, it would have to be a, a top end guy. And and other than Bobrovsky, which you know to me, Columbus, you know Columbus basically said we're all in. You know, but to me, I keep going right. back to Columbus. But to me, Columbus. They came with the premise of, you know, unless we get a king's ransom, which they weren't going to, because he was a rental for Panarin. They wanted to go in all, all in. They wanted to keep Panarin and make a huge run. So, to, for that to happen, they had to both not trade him and then go beyond aggressive to get the Duchesnes, to get to get the Zingles, if sure, um, uh, if you will, not to trade Probosky. So. You know, I don't know if that goalie was really out there. And, he, and again, we talked about Grabowski's past. Uh, you know, I mean, Mike Smith has probably had more playoff moments uh, uh, than than Grabowski. Um, You know, Lundquist uh, doesn't want to leave New York. Not that his name really ever came up. So uh, I think they're going to just, you know, they're going to ride with the Smith and, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, Richie, oh, I'm going to butcher his name, Richards, Richie uh, out, out there in Calgary. So, uh, for right. better or for worse, you know, um, you know, the good thing for them is they're they're, uh, you know, they wouldn't have to. They probably have an easier road than a Nashville or Winnipeg, if you will. So um, the last guy I want to get to, the last thing I want to get to is Wayne Simmons. You know, who oh, it seems like the market kind of crashed on him, but you know, mm. if, if Wayne Simmons was gonna kind of dial up the prime, uh, the prime play of uh, his past past years, I think the perfect landing spot with for him would have been uh, Nashville and Peter LaViolette. What do you think? 
Well, yeah, obviously those two have a history. Uh, and and listen, uh, Nashville has struggled all year long with their power play. Simmons, he's he is a brick wall. You cannot move from in front of the net, especially on the power play. If he can help that power play, because look, we we both know that that in the playoffs the referees have a tendency to swallow the whistles, which makes every power play opportunity that much more important. If Simmons can help Nashville, you know that could that you know on a special on a power play uh, opportunity that could mean the difference in a in a playoff game. Uh, I I you know obviously Laviolette has an awful lot of confidence. Perhaps, perhaps he should. I think uh, the addition a couple weeks ago of Brian Boyle, another big guy, uh, who on five on five can can is a big, strong net front presence. I think that will help. Believe it, you know, uh, as good a team as Nashville is, they have struggled in scoring, and I think those two bodies, those two big bodies, they're third and fourth liners, but they get the the proper ice time at the right moments they can help uh this Nashville team you know uh, clearly Nashville's looking for the eventual matchup with Winnipeg so uh i think they added the bodies for that well that's going to do with Dan thanks for the, thanks for coming on everyone you can follow Dan at Dan Harrigan D A N H E R R E J O N and we'll see you next week with Jamie Thomas from Winnipeg Jets TV Thanks, everybody.